Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. We're continuing this morning talking about the armor of God. I've thoroughly enjoyed preaching this series, and I hope that you've enjoyed being a part of this series. And in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, Finally be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God. And we're talking about every single piece of the armor on a weekly basis, taking one piece at a time. Put on the full armor of God. So far, we've talked about the belt of truth. We've talked about the breastplate of righteousness. We've talked about the shoes of peace. And he said, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, his method, his plan to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but our struggle is against rulers. This is the the spiritual forces of wickedness and evil. He said that we struggle against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he says again, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. That's our word for 2021, stand. And uh, let let me just take a moment right here and say that if you have not yet contacted your senator, our senator here in the state of Alabama regarding this Equality Act, you need to get on the phone, you need to get on your computer and send an email, you need to do everything that you possibly can, number one, to stop it, but number two, that if it goes through, it needs to go through revised because of how it can affect schools, how it can affect our private schools, our Christian schools, and how it can affect the church. I'm telling you, there's a lot of generalities in this equality plan that if we don't get some clarity about it, we're going to be sorry that we didn't speak up and speak out and stand. If you haven't read it, you need to go back and you need to read read it, especially where it talks about public access because it's not clear what public access is. Right now, that could include Christian schools. It could include churches. So listen, we need to do what God's called us to do, amen, and stand and speak up for truth here, all right? You know me, I don't normally get involved in political affairs, but I'm telling you, this is one we've got to get involved in. This this is one that we've got to stand up against. But he said, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And today we're going to talk about this. In addition to all of this, he said, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So today we're going to talk about the shield of faith. Look again at this passage of scripture in verse 16 of Ephesians 6. 
He said, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, I'm going to take a little bit different approach this morning than I have on the first three of these messages because when I talked about the belt of truth, I started clarifying and defining what truth is. When I talked about the armor, the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, we, we talked first about what righteousness is. And last week, when we talked about the shoes of the gospel of peace, we talked about defined and clarified what the gospel is. But rather than starting with faith today, I'll get to it, but rather than starting with defining and bringing clarity about what faith is, let's start at the end of this verse and work our way back to the first of it. And notice what we find out at the end of the verse, that there is an evil one. Now, we know who the evil one is. The evil one is Satan, whose mission is to steal, to kill, and to destroy anything in his path. But notice what the evil one is doing. The evil one is hurling flaming arrows in his intention to try to steal, to kill, and to destroy he hurls at us flaming arrows. Now, the arrow that would have been spoken here that was used in this particular culture that we read about in Scripture was an arrow that was, that was wrapped in something like cotton. Then it was dipped in tar. And then they would light it, ignite it with fire. And then they would release those flaming arrows Therefore, you needed something that when those arrows landed, you need something that would extinguish those flaming arrows. And notice that Paul says that the evil one, the devil, is hurling flaming arrows at us. So therefore, we need something to extinguish those arrows. Because if they ever make contact, listen, if they ever make contact not only will they affect the place where they hit, but the fire will spread. So we've got to extinguish, extinguish the flame quickly to keep it from spreading. So the evil one is shooting these flaming arrows. And I'll talk a little bit more about what they are in a moment, but things like doubt and things like fear and things like temptation, intending to steal, to kill, and destroy and so we need a shield that will help to deflect and extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And that shield for us is a shield called faith. And we'll get to really what that shield represents here in just a moment. But first of all, I feel like I need to lay a little bit of groundwork. I shared with you when I talked about the breastplate of righteousness that the biggest lie of the enemy that he wants all of us in this room here today to believe and that he wants all of the world to believe is this, and that is you don't need God. That's his biggest lie. You remember when we talked about the breastplate of righteousness, we talked about his lie that you don't need God to get to heaven. All you need to be is good. And a lot of people in this world have fallen for that lie that if I just live a good life, you know, if I'm good to people, if I'm good to my family, if I just live a good life, then surely God is not going to keep me out of heaven because of my goodness. 
And, and that's the biggest lie of the enemy is that you and I, that we don't need God, that we don't need God to be happy. We have the world for that, that we don't need God to be fulfilled. We have the world for that, that, that we don't need God to be complete or to be successful, that we have the world for that. Because you see, every flaming arrow that the enemy hurls at us, there is really one purpose behind it. The enemy is trying to do everything that he possibly can to get you and I to disobey God. Did you hear me? He's doing everything that he possibly can to get us to disobey God. Telling us lies like, you can't trust him anyway. I mean, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, that all God is wanting to do, God is, God is all about himself and that you're just a pawn in his hand to, 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 to help him accomplish what it is that he wants to accomplish here on this earth, that God is just a kill joy, that, that God is trying to keep you away from everything good and everything pleasurable and everything that'll make you happy in life, that that's who God is. And so he's doing everything that he can to keep you from God, to keep you from obeying God, to keep you and I from trusting God. Listen, listen to what John says because this is not a new issue that we're dealing with today. Each and every one of us, when we come to God, and I'm seeing a lot of believers in this room here today, but when we come to God, listen to me, we still have a lot of the world in us. And we still live a lot according to the ways of the world that I don't need God to fulfill me. I don't need God to make me happy. I don't need God to satisfy me. I've got all of these things in the world to do that. You see, here's what the enemy wants us to do, really. He wants us to live like we are permanent residents and citizens of this world. He wants us to love the world more than we love God. And that's what we were before we come to God. And so we still have a lot of the world in us. And we're still allowing the Holy Spirit to cleanse us, to work those things out of us. John said it like this in 1 John 2. He said, do not love the world or anything in the world. Now you're going to notice in three verses of scripture, he uses the word world six times. And he says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. He's saying this, you can't love both. You cannot love the world and love God at the same time. If you love the world, you hate God. If you love God, then you hate the world. Now, when I talk about the world, I'm not talking about people, okay? We're talking a, about a system, that we read about earlier in that text, principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in high places. We're talking about a system in the world over which the Bible says Satan is the God of that world. And it's a world that is in complete rebellion against God. A world that is in complete rebellion against the word of God and against the rulership of God. It's a world that says we don't need God to tell us how to live our lives. We don't need God, as I said earlier, 
to fulfill, to satisfy, to make us happy. It is a world that the Bible says is full, listen to me, full of wickedness, full of sin, full of rebellion, full of disobedience toward God. And John says this, he says, when you and I come to God, we cannot love the world, say we, we love God if we still love the world. You either love one and hate the other, or you hate one and love the other. And then he goes on and he says this, for everything in the world, he said, you want to know what the world is comprised of, what the world is all about? He said, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, when he talks about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, that word lust there is the Greek word epithumia. And it's a Greek word that's used 36 times in the New Testament. And 33 out of 36 times, it's used in a negative sense. Three times, it's used in a positive sense to speak about the desires that we're to have for God. But most of the time, it is used in a negative sense. Now, let me just stop right here and say this. You have desires because God created you that way. I have desires because God created me that way. The problem is Satan wants to pervert those desires. And Satan wants us to seek to fulfill those desires outside of God. And of course, we know, hopefully we know, that we cannot experience true fulfillment, happiness, satisfaction, joy, peace, apart from God. The world cannot do that for us. The world promises that it can do that, but it can't deliver on the promise. And so he said, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. When you go back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, let me tell you something. Satan hasn't changed his strategy much over time. Because the Bible says that when Eve saw that the tree that she was forbidden to eat from, because see, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you to rebel against God, to disobey against God, and say you can find all of this satisfaction, fulfillment of your desire. You can find it all apart from God. And God knows that if you ever disobey him, your eyes will be open and you'll see that for yourself. So that's why he doesn't want you to do it. That's how the enemy works. He is so deceitful. But notice, it said that when she saw the tree, that it was good for what? For food. Something that would fulfill the desire of her flesh. And did you know food can even be a bad thing if it turns into gluttony? Right? That's how the enemy works. He wants to prefer. But anyway, it's talking about the desires of our flesh, the desires of our body. And then notice, not only that, he talked about the lust of the eyes because it says when she saw that the food was good for food, the, that, that, that it was good for food, the tree was good for food. And then it says it was pleasant to what? The eyes. She saw something and as a result of seeing it, she wanted it. She desired it. And then the pride of life. He says this. She said, when she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye and desirable to make one wise. Oh, if I do that, everybody is going to start saying, oh, look how smart she is. 
Look how wise she is. The pride of life. And let me tell you how the enemy works. He's so subtle. But he uses the system. You you remember me saying that most of the time his attacks are not direct but indirect. And many times his flaming arrows comes indirectly from the system of this world. Attacking the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. Because he'll send all kinds of flaming arrows into your life. Temptation. Attacking your flesh. Why do you think this world system is so hell-bent on putting images out there before folks? That everywhere you look, you can't even sell a lawnmower with a woman dressed decent. Because what's the motto? Sex sells. Why? Because they're appealing to your flesh through your eyes. Knowing that if you see something, you're going to desire. That's how the enemy works in the system of this world. With fear and with doubt and with temptation. All of these flaming arrows. Oh, I got to have that. Oh, I got to have this. Oh, because this will make me even happier. This will make me even more fulfilled. This will bring me even more joy. This will bring me even more peace. This will bring me even more security. And so we are looking to this temporary world to satisfy eternal desires that God has placed in our heart. And something temporary will never satisfy the eternal desires that God has put in your heart. Only an eternal God can do that when you trust in him. Amen. But notice now the lust of the flesh, the lust of the Now that you got what you lusted for, you want everybody to know it. That's why folks go on Facebook and Instagram. Every time they get a new something, and they got to parade it in front of everybody. Because the pride of life says, I don't just have it. But I want you to envy me because I have it. I want you to be jealous of me because I have it. That's why you take all these kind of pictures and you post them on Facebook, hoping to get likes, hoping to get comments. Listen, it's called the pride of life. And listen, if that's where you go for happiness, if that's what you reach for, for fulfillment, if, if that's what you're depending on to give you some security and some value in your life, you are trusting, you're putting your faith in the wrong source. And so here's what, here's what John says. He says that kind of stuff doesn't come from God. That kind of stuff doesn't come from the Father. It comes from the world. He said the world and its desires do what? Pass away. They're temporary. But he said, whoever does the will of God will live forever. You see, that's the bottom line. The enemy is trying to get you to disobey the will of God. He knows that if he's going to steal, to kill, and destroy, that if he can get you to disobey the will of God. And listen, when you disobey God, this is basically what you're saying. I can't trust you, God. I don't need you, God. But notice what John says. Because he doesn't leave us with a problem. He says this, he says in chapter 5, verse 4, that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. We can overcome it. But how do we overcome it? And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. 
our faith. What is it that's going to extinguish those flaming arrows of the enemy? Our shield of faith. Now, a Roman soldier would have had two different kinds of shields. One would have been a shield like this that he pretty much kept with him all the time. It was, it was small. It was light. It was, he could be very mobile with it. But the kind of shield that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6 is not this shield. The kind of shield that he's talking about was a shield about the size of a hood off of a 1972 Pontiac Grand Prix. I mean, this thing was huge. It was actually about the size of a door. Here, here's a picture of one of those shields that he would have been talking about. A portion of this shield was made of metal so that it could deflect those flaming arrows. But then a large portion of the shield, as you see there in the middle, was covered with leather. And before they would go into battle, do you know what they would do? They would soak the leather in water so that when those flaming arrows penetrated the leather, leather that wet leather would extinguish those flaming arrows. Oh, and that's why the Bible says that this is how you and I overcome. It's through our faith. That's why we have to have this shield of faith. Well, that gets us to asking this question then. What is faith? Because I'm convinced people don't really understand what faith really is. And, and the writer of Hebrews tells us this. Now, faith is the substance. Everybody say substance. It's the substance of things hoped for. Listen. I'm not hoping for things that don't exist. That's not faith. My hope is in something that exists, something that has substance, something that is concrete. That's where my hope is. And then notice what he said. He said the faith, that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it is the evidence. That word evidence means undeniable proof. So I have evidence of things not seen. Now, now, now look at that again. Now faith is substance. It's not something that doesn't exist. It's based on something that does exist. Even though I haven't seen it, I know it exists. Why? Because God said it does. And I can trust what God says in his word. Just because I haven't seen it yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And so he says there's substance. Faith is the substance, but not only that, faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is not just some emotion based on a feeling that you had. No, we have faith in someone that there is proof. There is evidence that you can trust him. You say, well, what is the substance? And what is the evidence? This. This is the substance. And this is the evidence. That, that's why Paul said that faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? The word of God. Now this is important right here. Don't forget that you heard this today. It does not say that faith comes from experience. 
And experience is good. I believe that experience can increase your faith. But faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. You cannot build your theology. Listen to me, this is so important because so many people do this. You cannot build your theology, what you believe about God on experience. And so many people who have grown up in the faith have done just that. And the moment that they have an experience that they feel is contrary to Scripture or contrary to God, what do they do? They get angry, they get mad, and they abandon God and blame God for it all. You see, you can't, you can't, because your experiences are going to be good sometimes and your experiences are going to be bad sometimes. So you've got to base your faith on truth. You've got to base your faith on the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. For those of you that say, Pastor, I just need more faith. Pastor, I just need more faith. Pastor, I just need more faith. No, you don't. You don't need more faith. You need more truth. Every one of us has been given a certain measure of faith. But it's up to us to nourish and to nurture that faith so that our faith can grow and our faith can increase. And the way that we do that is through the Word of God. Oh, somebody ought to give the Lord a good praise right there. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. Every word of God is true. He is what? He is a shield, oh hallelujah, to those who do what? Who put their trust in him. Because listen, if you really know who God is, if you've gotten into the word of God and you have, you, you have discovered who God truly is and you've discovered that God has a great track record, that God is faithful and that God can be trusted, then you know what you're going to do? You're gonna put your trust in him. You're not gonna put your trust in the things of the world, but you're going to put your trust in God, knowing who he is and knowing what he's capable of doing. And you put your full trust and reliance on him. Why do you come into this church every Sunday and sit down in that chair? Because you've done it so much and it's been reliable. It's held you up. And so now when you come in, you don't even think about it. You just put all your weight on it. That's the kind of faith you need in God. God has been faithful. And God is reliable. And you need to know this morning, we need to know this morning that we can put all of our weight on him. That we can put all of our trust in him. That he will not let us down. That he will not forsake us. That he will not abandon us. He will not lie to us. But God will be who he says he is and God will do what he says he will do. Somebody just give God a good praise right there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Notice now what he says. Stay with me here just for a few more minutes. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the writer says this. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please God if you don't trust God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must believe. That's where it starts, but that's not where it ends. You must believe what? That he is. Is there anybody here this morning that believes that God is? Not God was and not God will be, but God is. 
He said, I am that I am. He is. He is still alive. He is still in complete control. He is still large and in charge on his throne. And when you come to God, you've got to believe that he is. And look at this, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Them that obey him. Them that trust him. He's going to reward. Now, a a good example of this would be Abraham. Genesis chapter 15 and 1. Listen, Listen to what God says to Abraham. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Abram, do not be afraid. That's just like saying, Abram, have faith. Don't be afraid. I am your shield. You want to know what the shield of faith is? It's faith in God. It's trust in God. He said, I am your shield. And then notice what he says. I am your exceedingly great reward. He says, this is something you need to know, Abraham. You need to know that I got your back. I'm going to protect you and I'm going to provide for you. You don't have to look to the world for that. You don't have to look to a different system for that. Abraham, you can trust me to protect you. Abraham, you can trust me to provide for you. And so what did Abraham do? He believed what God said. And the Bible says that by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance. Notice this now. When called to go to a place, he would what? Later receive. Not not something that he's going to immediately receive, but something later receive as an inheritance. What did he do? He obeyed and he went. And I love this. Even though he did not know where he was going. That's scary, folks. When God calls you to go somewhere and then doesn't tell you where. But notice what Abraham does. He believes God. He trusts in who God is and what God can do. And even though he did not know where he was going, what did he do? He obeyed. Let me tell you something about faith. Faith without obedience is dead. You can believe all day long that God is who he says he is. You can believe all day long that God can work miracles in your life. But it's only when you obey that you have activated faith. Faith is not just what you believe. It's what you believe that inspires you to act. That inspires you to obey. And then notice what it says. That by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. And then notice what it says. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Here's how Abraham lived. Even once he got to the promised land he still lived like it was a temporary place. He lived in tents. He lived like a pilgrim and a stranger. Why? Because he had a promise of a better place. He already had a promise of a heaven. And he said, this place might be good, but this place don't compare to what God has promised me. Amen. And how many of you know, that's how we are to live in this world. We are strangers and aliens. We're just passing through. And even though there may be some things about this world that's good, it doesn't compare to the promise of heaven that God has given us. And that's where our hope is attached not in the temporary but the eternal and then notice it goes on and says all these he talked about Noah he talked about Sarah he talked about Abel 
talked about all these other great men and women of faith. And he said, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They were assured of them and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And then, and then chapter 11, verse 27 talks about Moses. And notice what it says about Moses. And, and please just hang with me here a little bit. Sometimes it takes a little while to get where you're going. And I don't have weeks to talk about the shield of faith. I have one. But it says, by faith, Abraham left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, even though the king was threatening with death. He chose to trust God. And it says, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered. Now, you got to see this. This is so cool. Because he saw him who is invisible. How do you see something that's invisible? Well, you may not be able to see him, but you can definitely see a manifestation of him. And don't you know that Moses grew up hearing his parents telling about how the sovereign providential hand of God protected his life, even when he was a baby. Because when he was born, the king, the Pharaoh, had, had, had put out that all children under the age of two were to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. And so what does, what does Moses' mother do? She puts together a little boat made out of bulrushes. She puts her baby in that little bulrush, that boat, and then she pushes him out onto the lake. And you know what she does from that point? She trusts God. She has faith in God. And do you know who was out there swimming in the river that day? Pharaoh's daughter was swimming in the river that day. Don't tell me that that's just by coincidence. That's the providential hand of God. And she took that little baby and you know what she did? She took him into Pharaoh's palace and raised him like her own. And when she she needed somebody to nurse Moses, do you know what happened? She found out about Moses' mother. She didn't know it was Moses' mother, but Moses' sister said, hey, I know a woman who can nurse him. And she goes and gets Moses' mother and, and Moses is able to nourish and, and, and she's able to nurture or Mo- Moses' mother, Jochebed, is able to nourish and, 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 and to nurture her own son. I'm telling you, it, it's the providential hand of God. Listen, you may not actually see God, but you can see the work of God. You can see the manifestation of God. You can see the providential hand of God. And if you've seen that, even though you haven't seen him yourself, you've seen how he can work in your situations and how he can work in your life. And that's what kept Moses going. He said, I may have not have actually seen him, but I've seen his manifestation. I've seen his work in my life. I've experienced it in my own life. Oh, I could preach on this all day. Notice two things about this kind of faith, and we're going to close. It's a faith, first of all, that conquers. You remember when the children of Israel coming out of the promised land crossed the Jordan River, They're going into the promised land, and the gateway into the promised land was a city called Jericho. And they had to conquer Jericho if they were ever going to get into the promised land. So God gives them a plan. He says, every day for six days, get out there and walk around those walls of Jericho. Even though it was embarrassing, even though it didn't make sense, even though it looked crazy, they obeyed. On the seventh day, he said, I want you to walk around the wall seven times. And then Hebrews tells us this, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after, that's important, after they had encircled for seven days. 
You see, they didn't just believe what God said. They acted on what God said. And it was faith plus action, faith plus obedience. After they had done what God told them to do, which was an act of their faith, the walls came down. And you listen to me, God is not obligated to do one thing in our lives until we have obeyed his word. Until we've obeyed his word. And that passage goes on to say, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon who whipped an army of 40, 50,000 people, 120,000 people with just 300 men because he had a conquering faith. He believed and trusted in God. He said, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice. That is, they kept doing the right thing in a culture that wanted to continue to do the wrong thing. They administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. A faith that conquers Let me tell you something else about this faith. It's a faith that continues. Now, faith that conquers, and Tanya, you guys can go ahead. A faith that conquers is great faith. But a faith that continues is an even greater faith. Because we go through this list of all these who conquered, of all these who won the victory, But sometimes we stop reading too soon. It didn't work out like that for everybody. Because notice what he goes on to say. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Some were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. You see, sometimes if you're basing it on experience, sometimes the experience ain't so good. Sometimes it looks like we're losing when we're really not losing. Sometimes it looks like we're being defeated when we're really not being defeated. He said the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. But notice they were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Faith that continues. Even when the circumstances are totally contrary to what you believe God's word to say. It's a faith that continues. It's, it's, it was Habakkuk. When, in Habakkuk chapter 1, he describes his culture with words like violence and iniquity and wickedness. And it was the people of God and a a, a culture that was full of sin. And he cried out to God and he said, God, how long are you going to tolerate this? And God said, no, I'm going to answer. I'm going to deal with my people, but it's not going to be the way you think. He said, I'm going to use a people even more wicked than they are to discipline them. And here's what he tells Habakkuk. He said, now Habakkuk, when all of this is going on and you don't understand why I'm working the way that I'm working, Here's what he told him. The just will live by their faith. And let's face it, there's some in this room here today, things hadn't worked out the way you thought they were going to work out. What do you do? If you believe and trust God, you keep going. 
you continue because you know that all things work together. God can cause all things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You just continue. So it's not just a faith that conquers, but it's a faith that allows you to continue when you want to quit. Continue when you want to throw in the towel. And can I tell you when we're strongest in team? Come on out. Come on out. Get ready to help me to close. We're strongest when we are united in our faith. When we all come together in our faith. You saw that shield earlier that I showed you that a Roman soldier would use. But did you know that when a, when a Roman army would go to battle, they would form a position called this. It was, it was called a tortoise. And you'll understand why, because you know what a tortoise is or turtle is. They have that shell of protection over them. And this is what a Roman army would do. They would connect those shields and they would f- take the formation of a tortoise. You see, yeah, we're strong in the Lord, but we're stronger when we fight together. We're stronger when we unite our faith together. Because here's what happens. It, 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 then it's not just a defensive weapon. It's an offensive weapon. Because when you're in that kind of a formation, you know what you do? You move forward together in faith. Conquering, continuing, trusting God. I want you to stand with me this morning. Somebody needs what I'm about to read from Psalm chapter 3 today. Somebody needs this. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help. No help for him in God. See, that's the lie of the enemy. That you're under attack, but God's not going to help you. But notice what the psalmist said. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I cried to the Lord with a voice and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept like a baby. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. And then he says, I'll not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. Why? Because you, Lord, are my shield, my trust, my confidence, my faith is in you. Listen, this is where some of you need to be today. Philip, I'm not going to stand on it. I think that's a great illustration but I'm getting behind it because this is my shield. My shield of faith that tells me everything I need to know about God and what God can do in my life. I fight behind this shield. This shield will protect you. Listen to me. When you hear it, believe it, and obey it, it'll protect you and it'll provide for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, mm, Thank you today, God, that you have provided for us every piece of armor that we need to stand against the 
flaming arrows of the enemy, to stand against the evil, the, the evil one when that day of evil comes in our lives. And, and, and Lord, you said when it comes, not if it comes. It's coming. In a lot of ways, it's already here, Lord, but individually there are some that are about to encounter an evil day in their life. And the enemy's gonna do everything that he possibly can, Lord, to try to get them to doubt you, your presence, your power, your love, your care, your concern for them. And so, Lord, I pray today that they will be encouraged to stay behind the shield, that they will continue to trust you, God, to fight for them, to protect them, God, to provide for them. Father, may every flaming arrow of the enemy be extinguished when it comes in contact with our faith, with what the Word of God says about you and what you can do in our lives, Lord. God, I pray that every person in this room here today, that if they have not already, that they will put their complete trust, their complete confidence in you. Just like when they walked in here today and sat down in that chair and put all of their weight on that chair, knowing that that chair would be reliable. God, you are so much more reliable. And I pray today that every person in this room, God, will rest their full weight on you. All of their cares cast on you knowing that, they, that you care for them. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said amen. Amen and amen. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God and we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.